You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Wonder have you had a moment, this moment, where you recognize that something that you do is just like that of your parent or grandparent. Now, I've got a grand, and you've got to know this about my grand. She's an Irish nan, right? Which means she talks at 100 miles an hour. You think I talk fast? You should listen to her. You can't understand what she's saying. I had to translate for Lysandre the first time she met her in the car. She had no idea. But my granny used to drive as fast as she talked. Oh, dangerous that, isn't it? She would be so fast that when she came to pick me and my friends up from the football, we would hear her wheel spinning in the car park on her way to get us. She was fast everywhere she would go. It was fast. We got in the car, weren't even Christians at the time. We would buckle our belts and we would pray that wherever we were going, we'd get there in one piece. In whoever's name, because we didn't know who we were praying for. Like, Nanny, you've got to slow down. She's like, it'll be fine, be fine. Until one day, my Nan got caught speeding. It was going to happen, wasn't it? It was going to happen. She was caught speeding. She paid the fine, got her points. And she then swung the total other way on the pendulum. She turned from being speedy Gonzalez so fast to being slow everywhere we would go. So much so, she would cruise in 30 mile an hour and 50 mile an hour zones. Like you were on the motorway, cars are doing 70. She's doing 30, right? You're like, Nan, come on, stop this. She's like, I don't go into fifth gear. I'm like, Nanny, there's a fifth gear. Put it into fifth gear. Stop riding the car in fourth gear. It's bad for the engine and bad for your mileage. She says, Lee, but I don't believe in fifth gear. I said, Nanny, it's not a matter of faith. The gear sticks right there. Put it in. So slow. Everywhere we would go was so slow, but my nan has, does this thing, this mannerism, where every time she'd hear bad news, questionable news, she would do this. Oh. And she touched, she touched, done my head in. It's like every time you told her something, oh, like that, I'm like, nan, stop it, please. Sounds awful, do my head in. It's embarrassing. And then two weeks ago, I'm on the phone to my little brother, catching up, chatting, and my little brother tells me something, and I, on the phone, go like that. I'm like, where did this come from? This tutting spirit, get behind me in Jesus' name. What is going on? You've had those moments too, haven't you? Maybe you laugh like one of your parents, and someone points it out. Maybe there's similar features in how you look. Maybe you hold your knife and fork in a weird way. You hold the knife in the left hand and the fork in the right hand. Traditions and stuff that have been passed on, similarities in families. And Paul here in Colossians, this whole series has been talking to us in the context of us being a new family. We've all got our natural families that we belong to, but Paul writes to the Colossians that we are now part of a new family, regardless of our socioeconomic standing, regardless of our gender, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of where we've been. We're grafted into this new family because the Bible says in Christ we are a new creation. 
the old has gone, and the new has come. And we're not just new in one sense in a moment, but we're actually continually being made new. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, says we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. This is a lifelong transformation that supersedes all of this stuff that we've inherited from our family because in Christ we have a new family. We have a new modus operandi. We've got a new way of living. We've got a new way of thinking. And we are a new family operating and existing in the midst of a culture war in a fallen world. In 1 Peter, Peter writes this, and Paul refers to it in Colossians 4. He's setting the church up how to live, as Peter describes in 1 Peter 2.11, as foreigners and exiles. The message version, I love it, says this, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. There should be a natural level of discomfort for us as a new family because we're operating in a culture war, in a culture clash in this fallen world. And here in Colossians 4, Paul is giving the church rules of engagement in how to operate as this new family in the midst of the culture war. There's a war, but we're not called to fight people. My Bible says, Ephesians 6 verse 12, says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the elemental forces, the powers of this dark world, the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're not at a war with people, but we're at a war with empty philosophy, hollow tradition, and elemental forces in the heavenlies. So we're at war today, but it's not lateral and horizontal with each other, but it's against the elemental forces of evil. That's what we contend against today. And here Paul writes some rules of engagement for us in 2022 as followers of Jesus. Three rules of engagement. Are you ready, 12 p.m.? The first rule of engagement is this, to remember, is focus on fundamentals. Turn to your neighbor and say fundamental. Someone just thought you called them mental. How rude. Colossians 4, 2 to 6 says, devote yourselves to prayer. First one, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul's writing this in the context of jail. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul in this moment is speaking to the church and telling them not to focus on the foundations, but focus on the fundamentals. Foundations are things that you do once to set yourself up to move forward, but the fundamentals are the things you do regularly to cause you to operate at a higher level. Musicians work on fundamentals, practicing 
core progression, skills, athletes work on fundamentals and how they train, how they lift, how they work, because they're trying to operate at a higher level. And for us today, Audacious Church, 12 p.m., we are called by God not to live on the back foot of life, watching the world just pass by, say la vie, whatever will be, will be, but we are called by God to operate on the higher level of being and doing. And the first fundamental, Paul writes, is devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. And he defines it three ways. He defines it as asking, watching, and being thankful. It's easy, isn't it, to become half-hearted in prayer when we're at the mountaintop of our breakthrough because God has come through. And it's easy, I guess, at times to become half-hearted in prayer when we're in the valley and it doesn't seem to be like there's a breakthrough. I want to encourage you today, church, whatever you're facing in life, whether you're on the mountaintop, in the valley, in the middle, devote yourself to prayer because there's always a something and a someone to pray for and believe for. And Paul breaks it down like this. He says, pray and then watch for answers. In other words, pray and then scout the land. Has the prayer been answered yet? No. Go back and pray again. The acronym PUSH stands for pray until something happens. Some of us need to put that into our lives where we don't just pray once, but we pray, petition, press in until something happens. And Paul also says, be thankful. Don't rob God from his praise at the mountaintop of your breakthrough. Many of us pray and we forget that we prayed the prayer. Time later, God does the miracle and we take credit for it, or we call it a coincidence. When God brings a breakthrough in your life and in your world, let it be your testimony. Be thankful, praise him on the mountaintop, and let your praise cause her to be hope to transform other people, because if God can do it for me, then God can do it for you, and if God can do it for you, then God can do it for us. So the first fundamental is devote yourselves to prayer. The second one is be wise. Be wise. N.T. Wright says it like this. It says, the blameless life lays the foundation for gracious witness. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Bible says in Romans 12, not the removal of your mind. Spirituality isn't the removal of rationale and reason at the expense of hearing God's voice. Rather, it's the moving of all the parts. Today, make a decision in your walk with God not to remove reason and rationale for how you're being and how you're operating and what you're doing. Don't be so holy other that people think you live on a mountaintop with Jesus. Be relatable. Be wise in how you act, what you say, and how you live. I listened to a podcast recently and it said this. It was from a, a lecturer who was scouting out lots of different religions and seeing what ones, you know, he liked. He wasn't a Christian. And he said this. He said, I seen the Christians had something other that no one else had. Something that I needed, yet I couldn't find it amongst them. How sad is that? In a room full of Christians, he knew they had something different, but he couldn't find it amongst them. Because their lives weren't wise enough to line up with their confession. So they had a confession or a thought process, salvation, but actually it wasn't transforming their world. Be wise. And be wise is in the context here in Colossians 4 of being wise 
in the context of outsiders, people who are not yet Christians. Don't like calling people non-Christians because it counts people out, but not yet Christians says there's hope. There's an opportunity for someone to come to know God. Be wise in the context of outsiders. Just recently, I was at a hotel and someone was wearing, was like crazy cool, I guess, his t-shirt that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I was like, yes, come on, this is awesome, you know. This is next level evangelism, cool. But I watched as this person interacted with one of the hotel staff that was anything but, was, was rude, was disrespectful, was putting them down. And I thought, oh my gosh, you've got this so backward. Let Be, be wise in how you working with people that don't know the hope that we have because at every opportunity, there is an opportunity for someone to know God through how we live and how we do our lives. Paul writes here after this, he says, maximize opportunity. Again, in the context of outsiders, another fundamental, maximize opportunity. Recently, I was getting my hair cut a couple weeks ago and my barber was closing the shop. I was the last person in to get my hair cut. He's ready to clock off the blinds of clothes. He closes the door, no more customers, and it's just him and I. And the last couple of years, I've been going to the same guy. And he knows that I'm a pastor, knows that what we do is church, knows some of the community stuff that we do. We've built a bit of a relationship. And this guy says to me, he asked how church was at the weekend. And I said, mate, let me show you. So I got up a video of church on Sunday from the all-in night on the Friday night. And he looks at it, and he says in a lot more colorful language than this, he says, whoa, that looks like a rave. And I was like, yeah, it does. That's how we do church. You should come along. He's like, cool, this is awesome. But see, in that moment, all I was doing was showing him a video and maximizing the opportunity. And I'm believing that one day, tomorrow, next week, whenever I next meet him, that at an invitation, he'll come visit church. At another opportunity, he'll give his life to Jesus, get plugged in the church. But I didn't, on the first time that I met him, sat down in the chair and say, hey, let me tell you about God. I maximized every opportunity in the relationship with this guy. And that's the word for us today is to maximize the opportunity with people that don't know God. You don't have to be the person that leads them to Jesus every time, but you're playing your part in taking them from a minus 40 on the scale of not yet Christian to a minus 30 to a minus 20 to a, let me come check out church. Maximize the opportunities in your world because God has placed you with people that aren't in my world, they're in your world so that you can reach them, you can love them, you can be wise, full of grace and show them the hope that we have. Last fundamental here before we move on. It says, let your words be grace-filled. Not brash, not arrogant, but seasoned with salt. What does that mean? That means flavorsome, full of flavor. If you've got nothing nice to say, say something nice. <laughs> say something nice. Flip the script. Make a decision all but you don't understand. They're all negative. They're all gossiping. It's hard and work to say something nice when that's the atmosphere. Choose to drop an awkward grenade. Do you know what that is? You know when everybody in work is calling someone out, gossiping behind their back, saying negative things about work, the workplace, you drop an awkward grenade. You say something encouraging and positive. You say, oh, well, yeah, but this person does this really well. 
they're actually really great at this. Did you know how awesome they are at that? And watch the conversation backpedal as people try and dig themselves out of the hole and say, oh, I, d- I didn't mean it like that. Yeah, they're not all. Drop some awkward grenades in the world and let your conversation be grace-filled, flavorsome, and let everybody we're in contact with say things like, they say thank you so much. They say please so much. God, oh, they're just great and encouraging. Paul is saying to the church here, let your language be flavorsome so that people can taste the beauty of the words at which you say. The second rule of engagement we have to remember is one family. Turn to your neighbor and say one family. Paul writes here in Colossians 4, verse 7, he says, Tychicus will teach you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. This is some good report about this guy. And in verse 9, Paul says, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. This to the church is shocking language. Onesimus, one of us, faithful, one of our brothers. Paul, have you lost the plot? Haven't you heard what Onesimus has done? Onesimus was famous in the church right here because he was once a slave that then stole and ran away with the money. Ran away and and left the church up the creek. They're like, Onesimus, you want us to welcome this guy? And in this moment of Onesimus fleeing, he somehow, God's timing, meets Paul, bumps into him, and Paul writes two letters around the same time, one to the Colossians and one to Philemon. And he says this to Philemon, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. And then in verse 15 to 16, he says, perhaps the reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. In the midst of a culture that wanted to expel Onesimus, wanted to cancel Onesimus, wanted to write him off because of that thing that he did, Paul flips the script and says, welcome him back as a dear brother in the Lord. Yes, he's messed up, but there's a place for him in the family. Yes, he's got it wrong, but my God's a God who forgives and gives a new opportunity. Paul encourages the church, don't write him off, but welcome him back. And I wonder today, who is it that you might have written off that God's telling you to welcome back in? Because the beauty of this new family that we're a part of is there's no kingdom hierarchy. There's no holiness scale. There's no opportunity for someone to be kicked out and never return. God's a forgiving God, open arms, welcoming, forgiving, saying there is a place for you. And here for Onesimus, he says, welcome him back into the family of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment of reconciliation and radical forgiveness. It's available to us too. And the last thing Paul says here about fundamentals is everyone on purpose for purpose. Everyone on purpose for purpose. Onesimus' name actually means this. means beneficial. means useful. In fact, his very name means that he's useful to God. Now, Onesimus was brought back into the family, and he was welcomed back in with open arms, 
and he wasn't excluded and he was welcomed back in on purpose for a purpose. That is an incredible moment of reconciliation and forgiveness for one semester. Everyone on purpose for purpose. His name means beneficial, means useful. Therefore, he wasn't just welcomed in to be a bystander, sit on the back row of church life, but he was called to play his part, to be useful for God. And I want you to know right now that you might have thought that things you've done in the past have counted you out from being of service to God. God's got a calling on your life. God's got purpose on your life. He's got a ministry for you in your world, in your life. He hasn't counted you out or excluded you, but has given you an opportunity to be an everyone per person who's on purpose for a purpose. Come on, the beauty of this thing is it's not just a team on a platform doing all the heavy lifting, it's all of us. You might never have a microphone, but God's given you a microphone in your world. The people you're with, the interactions that you have, the people that you're around, the influence you have in your workplace, in your family, and in your business, that is your microphone. And I think my generation lived too long through the lens of, if I don't have a microphone on a platform, then I'm not called by God. I wanna rebuke that right here, right now. This is 1% of what we do. It really is being on a platform. More than that, in my rest of the week, God's called me with a mission to reach the lost, to fulfill my calling to love the world. And once I'm here is welcomed, welcomed back in with open arms, Paul says, hey, your name, your name means useful. Your name means beneficial. And he takes it further in verse 17. He says this, he says to someone else, he says, see to it that you complete the ministry that you've received from the Lord. God has a purpose, a ministry for each and every one of us. Paul said to us today, complete the assignment that God has called you to do. That looks different for all of us. Some it's education. Some it's in the family world. Some it's in the sports faith. Some it's in business. Some it's in the creative industry. God has called each and every one of us to a purpose because we're everyone on purpose for a purpose. And I guess the greatest, one of the greatest disappointments in our lives could be that we get comfortable, we take a back seat on the couch of life and say, oh, yeah, they can do it. Good for them. They're able. They can crack on. I'm just going to watch. In God's kingdom, this sport is a full contact sport. There's no spectators. Everybody's on the field. Everybody's getting a touch of the football. Everybody's playing their part to build a kingdom that he calls his church. So I wonder today, if you would live as onesomeness, you would realize today that God has forgiven you, he's restored you, he loves you, this family has open arms for you today. But in the midst of that, when you join the family, you get given a dishcloth and you've got to do the dishes. Hey, the dishes don't do themselves. Many times you told your kids that. There's no magic dish fairy that is going to come and wash the dishes take the dishcloth, you band it, or sleep in the garden, right? Play your part in the family. This is the beauty of the family. In the midst of this culture war in this series, in the midst of a culture that says, oh, you mess up once, that's it, you're counted out. In the midst of a culture that says, nah, you've got nothing to give. 
Who are you? Who do you think you are? What skills do you have? Have you got the qualification? Lots of raging voices that we've carried with us on the journey. I want you today to make a decision to, to move on, to let go. Those thoughts that were spoken over your life, those negative things that people said that you carry with you, you've got to lay that down at the cross in order for God to use you for what he's got next. You can't enter this new season carrying the baggage of yesterday. But let me tell you, he doesn't let you carry the baggage. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus says, come to me, all your weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Cast your burdens onto me, says the Lord. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. With the voices, the cancel culture, all the things going on that we've unpacked in this series, make a decision today to not live in the culture of the world, but to live in the culture of the kingdom. Not to live under the language of what the world says, but live in the language of what the gospel says, of what Jesus says. Not living in the kingdom of the world, but living for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose name is Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 